Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis, one of the Bible Interact teachers. I thought today we would just have some fun in Scripture, and at the same time, I will show you how I dig to uncover the depth of Scripture and how everything in the Hebrew Scriptures can be related to our lives today. We don't have to say that we just have the New Testament. It's all one unified message, and there is a great deal of application to our lives today. We're going to be in the parable that the prophet Nathan spoke to David. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. And before I start, let me review with you what happened that precipitated this parable. Get a picture in your mind of the ancient city of Jerusalem. David had become king after Saul was killed. He made Jerusalem his capital. If you've been to Jerusalem and you know where the Temple Mount is located, or you may have seen pictures of the Temple Mount, David's city was not located where the modern city of Jerusalem is today. It was abutted to it and was adjacent to it, but if you get a picture in your mind of the Temple Mount, the city of David was a little tongue of land that extended south of the Temple Mount and, and, and it formed this little tongue of land that was called the city of David. The temple had not yet been built. That would be done by David's son Solomon. So the Temple Mount was not part of the city of David. The, the uh, city of David was that little tongue of land that is to the south of the Temple Mount. Now, the land drops down slowly. So at the top of the, the city of David, which would be closest toward the Temple Mount, that would be the high point. Archaeologists believe that they have excavated the foundation of David's palace there in that high point of land in that tongue of the city of David. And the, so David, if, with his palace there, could have been standing on his roof. A lot of the activities occurred on the roof because it was very hot in Israel, certainly during the, uh, dr the, the dry season. Um, uh, let me just explain that in a village in the rural areas of Israel, in the villages, the, the homes would have been built in a, a square shape with an open courtyard in the middle, and many of the activities of the family would have taken place in that open courtyard in the middle. The city of David in Jerusalem was probably quite crowded. It was a very small area of land, that tongue of land. And so the homes would have been crowded together and would not have had enough room like the rural areas to have that open courtyard in the middle. So probably many of the outdoor activities would have occurred on the roof of the home. So David could have been standing on the roof of his palace, up on the, the higher part of that tongue of land, looking down on the roofs of the homes of the people who lived there in the city of David. And apparently Bathsheba was bathing, 
and David saw her, and she was beautiful, and he called her to come to his palace. Well, of course, you're going to call if the, come if the king calls. You know, that's something that you would do. You wouldn't say, no, I'm not coming. And, um, and when she came, um, he... Um, had an you know an adulterous relationship with her because she was married to her husband who was a Hittite mercenary soldier his name was Uriah that's the Hebrew pronunciation of it I think in English we might say Uriah but Uriah was was her husband he was fighting for David he was often in battle fighting for David and she was left there at home alone she came before King David and lo and behold she became pregnant well, David, uh, what David did is he called Uriah back from battle to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to give some instructions. I want you to take these instructions back to the battlefield. Oh, but in the meantime, I'll give you time to to spend time with your wife and to go into your wife, meaning that, you know, he could have sexual relations with his wife and then it would look like Uriah was the father of the child. But Uriah responded, he was a, a righteous man, he was a holy man, and he said, No, my lord, I must return to battle in a pure and holy condition. They believed that they had to abstain from sexual relationships uh, in order to be pure and holy, and it, you needed to be pure and holy to fight in battle. Now, when the battle was over, then, of course, he could come back to his wife, but he was uh, getting ready to return to battle, and he had to remain pure and holy, and so... Uh, David failed in his ploy to make it look like Bathsheba's husband was the father of the child. What David did was he sent instructions back to the, his commander-in-chief of the battle to say, put Uriah in the front line of battle, which is where he would be killed, and he was killed. Now, in the eyes of God, that was murder. So David had committed not one sin, but two sins. The first sin was the sin of adultery. The second sin was the sin of murder. The parable that Nathan speaks is going to, to start this whole passage that brings David to repentance. That's, that's what's going to happen here. Now, the parable is told in the form of Hebraic poetry. Hebrew poetry does not rhyme, it has rhythm, and it is filled with language that activates all of your senses and just and, and, and builds that emotion in you. So I'm going to read it, but first let me just very briefly tell you the story of the parable here, and then I'll read it so that you can just feel that emotion. Um, the parable says that there were two men. One was very rich, and he had a great many flocks and herds. And then there was a poor man who only had one little ewe lamb. Now, there was a stranger who came into the, to the community. And according to the law of hospitality, that stranger would have been welcomed in to the home, given a meal, be allowed to bathe uh, and rest before he continued on with his journey. This tradition of hospitality apparently began uh, during the nomadic period when, as a stranger is, is coming into a nomadic um, campground, he has been coming across the desert and he needs this kind of assistance before he continues on in a desert journey. Otherwise, he's going to die. He's got to have food. He's got to have water. He's got to be able to sleep and rest before he goes on. So this was the law of hospitality. It was very characteristic of the ancient world. We can see it in Scripture. And the 
the uh, the he's called a wayfarer or a traveler uh, came first to the rich man's house because you know that would be the place to go. You go to the big home, and that's where you're going to get your hospitality. Well, the rich man refused to kill one of his own flock, and he went and he got the ewe lamb of the of the poor man and killed it and took care of the traveler that way. That's the parable. Now, I want you to listen to the parable and even close your eyes and let it let the emotion just build up. All right, are you ready? There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he, the rich man, was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he, the rich man, took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. That's the end of the parable. That's it. Now Nathan is telling this parable to David. David is the king. David has been filled with emotion, which is what Hebrew poetry accomplishes. He's filled with emotion, and he's going to give a ruling about what is going to happen to this rich man. And we read, Then David's anger burned greatly against the rich man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. So the penalty should be death, but David's going to go on. He's going to mitigate it. And, says David, the rich man must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Now, I encourage you to consider getting, or at least looking at, the Bible version called the New American Standard Version. This is what I'm reading from. I use it for two reasons. Number one, let me just comment first. All English Bibles are interpretation. When you go from one language to another, you're interpreting to clarify it in the new language. All Bible, all English Bibles are interpretation. However, the New American Standard Version, its goal, its purpose, is to translate as closely to the original text as possible. This means that it's going to be stilted at times. When it's stilted, it will have a little note for you to look in the middle margin, and it'll, it'll, it will explain in the middle margin what this, you know, what this original text is and, and what it's doing. Now, so the, the first reason for using the NASB, it's called, is that the translation is intentionally as close to the original text as possible. It does not take liberties so that you can understand what the original Hebrew Greek is, is trying to say. The second reason 
is that you should get the New American Standard Version Reference Edition because the Reference Edition has is packed in the middle margin, not only with explanations about how they've translated, but much more. It's giving what I call echoes. The people of the first century did not have books. They learned scripture from, from the time they were little children. They memorized it. So they heard something that would kick off an echo in another part of Scripture. We're getting an echo here in this passage. I would not have recognized it, except there was a note to go to the middle margin, and I went to the middle margin, and I could see it there. You're going to have to learn to do the same thing if you want to get into the depth of Scripture. It says here, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. No, let's see, let me go back up a bit. Um, the rich man must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. The little note to send you the, to the middle margin is in front of the word fourfold. So you go to the middle margin and it says, well, turn to Exodus 22 verse 1. Now if you were doing this, you would keep your finger in Second Samuel, turn to Exodus 22.1 and read it there and then you would be able to flip back to the parable that Nathan spoke to David. I am now in Exodus 22.1 and I'll read it to you. It says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep, now a lamb is a little sheep, so we're talking here about uh, a sheep or a lamb, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So this has to do with stealing. If a man steals a little lamb, he has to pay restitution fourfold. He has to return four sheep or four lambs for the one that he's stolen. Now we take that commandment and we go back to our parable. What David has said is he said the man really deserves to die. But I know the commandment of God. The commandment of God is that the rich man should return four lambs for the one that he has taken from the poor man. It's important for you to see that because David is dealing with the penalty of death. He's, he would like to give the penalty of death, but God has given the commandment to return fourfold. And so that is the penalty that David is giving. given. What's important here is to talk about not penalties, but consequences, and to relate them to our lives today. Whenever we sin, and I say right now, there's not one of us on the face of the earth who is without sin. We're not perfect. We may try to become perfect. We may become more and more perfect as we get closer and closer to God in our walk with God. But we're never going to be perfect. So we are all sinners. Scripture says that the penalty of sin is death. We are all supposed to die. However, those who belong to God have been given the gift of life with God, which is a promise of something future. It's so I, I believe in Yeshua. I belong to God. I have the promise of eternal life with, with God at some time in, in the future. It's a promise of something future. And, uh, and, 
And so we're going to get activity here in this passage about the penalty of death. We're going to see about the penalty of death being uh, forgiven, and but we're still going to see uh, these these consequences that come upon us because of our sinful actions. So we've got two things going on. We have the penalty of death that God can remove, and we have consequences for our sinful daily actions. We've got those two things that we're going to see going on. Let's go back here to the story of the parable. So David has made a decision. The man deserves to die, but I'm not going to give him the death penalty because God has said that... Uh, when a man steals a lamb, he must return four lambs as restitution. Now we get the very famous words. Nathan then said to David, Four words, that's all it is. You are the man. The parable is all about David. David has not stolen a lamb. He has stolen a man's wife. That's, that's what it's all about. You are the man. And then it goes on. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like those. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You Now, what we have here is a very interesting... I want you to hear it. The people in the ancient world would have heard it. Our ear is not tuned to hear it, so I'm going to explain it to you, and then I'll let you listen. There are two sins, not one, but two. David committed adultery. He also committed murder. He caused the death of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba two sins. We're going to get two consequences. The most serious penalty or the most serious sin is murder. And that's going to be repeated because it is the most serious. In the middle is going to be the consequence for the lesser sin, which is adultery. I'm going to read you the repetition of the of the first sin. Listen listen to the, the first sin, the sin of murder. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. It's repeated. It's the most serious crime. And it's repeated. And in the middle, you have taken his wife to be your wife. In other words, you have committed the adultery. So there are two crimes. And there is going to be two consequences. We're going to take the consequence of the adultery first because that's what scripture does. It gives the consequence of the adultery first and it leads the consequence of the more serious crime of murder for last. So let's read the consequence of the sin of adultery. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household, and it's going to be his son. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, that's his son, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do the thing before all Israel and under the sun. 
Alright, we've got something really powerful here. There are consequences. There are consequences of the way that he treated Uriah, the warrior, who was righteous in desiring to be pure and holy to fight for God. The consequence is that the sword will never depart from David. He will never be able to win the battle against God's enemy. He is no longer a pure and holy warrior. He will continue to fight for God, but he has lost the pure and holy status by his act of what he did with Uriah. And then it goes on about uh, what will happen um, to his wives. Um, While David is off fighting in battle, his son comes to the city of David, that tongue of land. He goes into David's palace. He takes David's wives. He would have brought them up to the roof of the palace, and there he raped them. And all the people who lived in the city of David would have looked up on the roof of the palace to see David's sons raping his wives. What you see here, and what's the, the important lesson, I think, is that all sin will bear a consequence. The consequence will be related to the sin. The purpose that the consequence is related to the sin is because consequences are for instruction. Um, you know, I, I should not have used the word punishment, because all sin leads to consequences. Don't think of it as punishment. They're consequences, and the purpose of the consequences is for instruction. We're, you know, I get the picture of, of us falling down and scraping our knee because we were walking in the ways of the world. And we go, yikes, this happened because I was not walking in the ways of God. So I turn to God and I, I say, God, I am truly sorry from my heart. I am truly sorry that I have done this thing. I will no longer do it again. I am not going to walk in the ways of the world. I'm going to walk in your ways. That is true repentance. Repentance is not saying, oh, I'm sorry, and you're forgiven. Repentance comes from the heart. And it means that you truly desire to change, to change away from the ways of the world to the ways of God. And so what happens next is really, really, really important. Because then David said to Nathan, I'm in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. This is David repenting. And he's just heard the consequences for his adultery. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, uh, Nathan then said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So God is taking away the penalty of death for murder, just the way he takes away the penalty of death for our sin. But David still has to bear a consequence because it says, However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. And that child does die. And that's the consequence that David has to bear for his penalty, for his sin of murder. God has, has removed the penalty of death but for the murder, but he, but he has still given a consequence. It's a very heavy consequence to David. Now, how do we apply this in our lives today? We have to separate between God's forgiving the penalty of death because we love him and we belong to him and we are going to be with him at some time in the future 
and our sinful actions today. The focus of this parable is is to, to encourage us in our lives today to repent of our sinful actions, turn to God, to go ahead and, and take the consequences, but know that the consequences are for the purpose of instruction. And when we repent, we we truly desire from our hearts to change. This process of repentance is like an onion. The world builds up all these layers, and we have to now strip them away one by one by one. I strip away one, and it causes me to cry, and then there's another one I have to strip away until I'm getting closer and closer to that soft, tender core where there's no worldly protection, and I have to trust in God 100%. And that's my image of, of, of this process of consequences in our lives today. So I encourage you to go back and read that parable in Second Samuel ver, uh, chapter 12 and to put the lesson into your life for today. With that, I say, Shalom.